Hello, welcome to the Stories Podcast. Today we're reading an exclusive original story about a brave knight, a clever wizard, and a talented cleric. It's called The Magic Armor. We hope you like it. In the kingdom of North End, during the great summer of the sweet southern winds, a beautiful princess was born. She was pink like the horizon at sunrise, and her downy hair was the beautiful blonde of warm honey. The king loved his little child so much, he decided to throw a great tournament in her honor. It was to feature archery and knife throwing and axe juggling and sword fighting and all manner of exciting events. But the biggest event of all was to be the jousting. Now jousting was terribly dangerous, so it was only done by the bravest of all the knights. In a proper joust, each knight would get on his horse and take a long blunted pole called a lance and ride straight at the other. They would meet in the middle with a great crash and try to use their lances to knock the other knight off their horse. The knights wore their full suits of armor, but even still, each joust usually ended with a few broken bones. The jousting at this tournament was to be extra special, because in honor of the young princess freshly born, the king decided that he would have a special jousting event just for the squires. Squires are young men, usually no more than 14 years old, and they act as assistants to the knights. They clean their swords and armor and fetch their lances. They tend to their horses, and usually it takes many years for a squire to prove himself worthy of being dubbed a knight. But the king said that in honor of his daughter's birth, the winning squire should be raised to knighthood then and there. Of course, this was an attractive proposition to all squires, so they flocked to the tournament to prove themselves worthy of being knighted by the king, which was a very high honor indeed. The squires of rich knights already had their own horses and armor to joust with, so for them entering was easy. The squires of poorer knights had to beg their masters to borrow a horse and armor just so they had a hope that it fit well enough to work. The squire of the poorest knight, well, believe it or not, he is the hero of this tale. His name was Max, and he was a squire for a grungy old knight who called himself Sir Parlo the Pink on account of he painted his shield a garish shade of fuchsia. Others, however, called him Sir Parlo the Stink, on account of he really, really stank. Max wished he could squire for a better knight, but the truth was he was lucky to be a squire at all. He was born an orphan in the nearby kingdom of Middale, and wandered north for lack of anything better to do. One day, on a small side road, he came across Sir Parlo sitting against a tree with an arrow in his belly. He had been robbed by an archer bandit and left for dead. Max helped the knight retrieve his horse and mount up, and held him in the saddle until they could reach the nearest healer. The knight had taken Max on as a squire to thank him, and Max was grateful because usually only noble-born boys were taken to squire, even by smelly knights like Parlo. So far, it had been a good deal for Max. Sure, Parlo was smelly and poor, but he knew plenty about sword and shield and lance, and he taught Max freely. By the time the king's daughter was born and the tournament announced, Max could hold his own against anyone his age. He was tall and lean, but his skinny arms were banded with long muscles from years of practice and hard work, and he rode a horse like he was born in the saddle. I will win my knighthood, Max declared one evening as he shoveled horse droppings out of their campsite. Sir Parlow was fretting over a rusty pot on the fire. They were camped in a small clearing in the woods just off of the main road. You'll win a body full of broken bones is what you'll win. The tournament will have the best knights in the kingdom, best squires too. It's no place for the likes of us, boy. This is why we never have any gold. You're always too afraid to go to the tourneys. All we ever do is escort wagons. Do you want to be poor forever? We ain't poor, replied Parlo. Now eat your grass soup, he said, 
thrusting a crude wooden bowl at the young squire. We are poor. I've talked to other squires, and they get meat in their soup, not just grass and bark. Well, the other squires are awful chatty now, aren't they? As it happens, I just got us some gold this morning while you were snoring away. He pulled a small leather sack from his dirty jacket and jingled it for Max to hear. Where'd you get that? From that wagon we escorted. The owner tried to pay us a silver for our services. Can you believe that? One silver for the likes of Parlo the Pink. Didn't seem fair, so when he wasn't looking, I helped myself to some gold from the strong box. He'll never miss it, and it's only fair all the work we did. Hey, isn't that stealing? No. No, 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 no. Yes, said someone else. Parlo and Max both jumped with surprise as five constables emerged from the woods all around them. Constables kept the law in the area, and they were armed with short bows and heavy iron-wrapped clubs. With the constables was the wagon owner. That's the thief right there, the owner yelled, pointing at Parlo. Wait, no! It wasn't me, it was the boy, yelled Parlo as the constables lifted him bodily from his seat by the fire. His grass soup dropped and splattered them with all clumpy green juice. It wasn't me, it was the boy. Me? You're lying. Give it a rest, stink, said one of the constables. We heard the whole thing. It's the dungeon for you. Stink? yelled Parlo. Stink? It's pink! He roared and threw one of the constables to the ground. He caught the other's club as it whistled towards him and wrenched it free of the constable's grip. Give it up, stink! yelled the other three constables, now hefting their own clubs and fanning out to surround the smelly night. It's pink! Carlo yelled again, and then he turned to yell at Max. Boy, my sword! Throw me my sword or we'll show these glorified gods the meaning of steel! Max grabbed Parlo's sword, but didn't throw it. You lied. You tried to say I stole the gold. Only because I didn't want to go to the dungeon! yelled Parlo. Surely you can understand that! The constables were watching the exchange, and the sword, very carefully. Then I would have gone to the dungeon! yelled Max. It was a risk I was willing to take. Max lowered the sword. He was very disappointed. The sour old knight had never been especially kind, but he had taught Max everything he knew. And now he was a thief. And worse than that, he had tried to blame Max, who had only ever saved his life and served him well. This sword? This is my sword. Stink. Pink! Pink! Parlo roared, but then one of the constables caught him a ringing blow across the back of the head, and he fell face first into the remains of the grass soup. They dragged him out, bound him hand and foot, and threw him across the rump of one of their horses. You have a place to go, son? asked one of the constables. Max said yes, thinking of the tournament and the promise of knighthood that awaited him there. We have to take back the gold, obviously. We also have to take his armor and everything else of value as penalty for his crimes. The sword is yours, and we'll leave you the horse as well so you aren't stranded. By law, the constable could have left Max with nothing, but he had a boy about Max's age at home and felt a little sorry for the young squire. Thank you, sir. No problem, kid. But if anyone else asks, we took the horse, too. He added with a wink, and then he spurred on his horse, leading the other constables, the wagon owner, and old Parlo away. Max could still hear Parlo moaning as they pulled out of sight. Max turned and scooped himself the rest of the unspilled grass soup. He ate heartily, bark and all. He knew he would need the strength for the tournament. Max rode Parlo's old red warhorse onto the fairground and was nearly overcome by the sights and sounds of it all. Everywhere there were giant pavilion tents, some fine striped silk and others faded into canvas, but all huge and amazing to Max's young eyes. Squires and servants darted from one pavilion to the next, 
carrying messages and running other odd errands. Knights gleaming, and completely unlike old Parlo, rode around on magnificent steeds, lances held tall, and pennants snapping in the breeze. Merchants had set up crude stands and were hawking their wares, yelling to be heard over the general din. Max saw beautiful women cooing over fine dresses, and young men testing short decorative blades inlaid with gems of all colors. He passed a whole pig turning slowly on an iron spit and felt his stomach rumble. He hadn't had anything to eat but grass soup for days, and the savory smell of the roasting meat flooded his mouth with a hungry saliva. Excuse me, how much for this pork? He called to the cook turning the spit. Five cogs, yelled the cook, not looking up from his spit. In North End, a cog was the least valuable coin they had, but even still, Max only had ten to his name, and he couldn't afford to spend half his worth on a bit of roasted pig, not when he still had the jousting to prepare for. He pressed on, trying not to think of his rumbling stomach. He was trying to find the tournament pavilion, but he was soon lost in the general maze of tents and knights and merchants. Finally, he found a well-dressed squire cleaning a blade and got him to point out the way to the tourney tent. He could feel the well-dressed squire skeptically eyeing his dirty rough woolen pants and shirt and worn-down boots, and he blushed as he nudged his horse away. When he finally reached the tourney pavilion and tied out his red warhorse, he was tired and hungry and thoroughly embarrassed by his rough appearance. Before the tourney, I must wash up and clean my clothes, he thought to himself. He walked up to the scribe taking the names of those who wished to enter the tourney and tried to make his voice as deep as possible. <clears throat> I'm here to enter the squire's joust. The scribe looked him up and down. And where's your armor? You need to register in your armor. Armor? How could he have been so stupid? Of course he'd need armor to enter the joust. Unfortunately for him, the constables had taken Parlo's armor when they'd taken Parlo. I... I don't have any armor. Max finally managed to stammer out. Well, said the scribe, borrow some from your knight. I don't have a knight either. Max said miserably. Then what do you have? asked the scribe. A death wish? Get out of here, kid. No one jousts without armor. That's the royal decree. Max started to protest, but the other squires waiting their turn to enter grabbed and pushed him out of the tent. He landed in the mud next to his horse, looking and feeling worse than ever. How could he have forgotten about armor? What was he going to do now? He had a horse and a sword, but nothing else. He wouldn't even be able to get a job guarding wagons without armor. He could sell the horse, he supposed, but then once that money was spent, he'd be worse off than before. No armor, no knight, no luck. I must be the least lucky person in the whole stupid kingdom. Just as he said that, the door of the building across the street flew open. A wooden stick flew out and landed in the mud, and a second later it was followed by a boy about Max's age dressed in baggy blue robes. And stay out! yelled a burly man from inside the building. I've seen donkeys who are better wizards than you! At least they could make carrots disappear! There was a storm of laughter from inside the building, cut off when the door slammed shut. I'll turn you into a donkey, grumbled the boy, wiping the mud off his robes and eyeing the stick carefully. Lucky you didn't break my wand, or I'd show you a thing or two about wizards. I'd cook up such a fireball, your butt would be burning for a... He suddenly seemed to notice Max, sitting there in the mud. Oh, hello, the boy said, acting as if he didn't just get tossed out into the mud. I'm Wallace Q. Wallace, wizard at large and master of illusions. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Max looked at the boy, covered in mud, and giving such a grand introduction, and couldn't help himself. He burst out laughing. 
Wallace looked upset for a second, and then he looked at the two of them, covered in mud and ridiculous in the dirty street, and he started laughing too. He fell over next to Max, and the two of them laughed and laughed until the knights and ladies in the street started giving them strange looks. Well met, said Max finally, wiping the tears from his eyes. Well met, Wallace Q. Wallace. Well met. What's your name, friend? the ragged wizard asked. I'm Max. Max what? Just Max. I've never had a last name. I'm only a squire. Well, nice to meet you, Max. Are you here to enter the squire tournament? Max slumped his head back into the mud, the laughter draining from his body. I was going to enter, but I don't have any armor, and they took my knight off to the dungeon. Well, where's your knight's armor? On my knight, said Max, and they both laughed again. How about you? Is there some kind of event for wizards at the tourney? Nah. I was trying to use my amazing illusions to entertain people in that tavern over there. Max stood up and helped Wallace to his feet. It wasn't hard. The young wizard was tall, but he must have been skinny as a stick under those big blue robes because he weighed almost nothing. Together, the two led Max's horse down the muddy street. So, they didn't like your show, I guess. Well, they did at first. I was making all the knights change colors, and I had little dragons flying around. But then I used an illusion to make it look like the tavern owner was naked, and he didn't think it was very funny. That's when he tossed me out into the mud. They walked in silence for a minute, and then Max froze, gaping at the young wizard. Max! Max, what is it? Max grabbed Wallace by the shoulders and spun him around. Ow! What are you doing, man? Are you telling me you can change what people look like? Like, you can change what they're wearing? Yeah, sure, that's an easy one. I have the power of prestidigitation. Oh, I'm sorry. Is there a cure? No! Prestidigitation! God bless you. You're hopeless! Prestidigitation means that I can disguise things with my magic. Right. So you can give me armor. You can magic me up armor and a shield, and I can enter the squire's tourney. Max, I can make it look like you're wearing armor, but it's just an illusion. It won't stop a sword or a lance or anything like that. You may as well just draw a picture of armor and wear that. But, but, what if I wasn't hit? What if I won? Max, you're talking crazy. If you're hit, you'll be killed. Even with the blunt tourney lances and full armor, knights break bones and even die sometimes. Please. Wallace, if you do this and I lose, you can just leave. No one will know it was you, and it's my own skin I'm risking. And if I win, I'll be a knight with the favor of the king, and I'll get us both jobs in the castle. Maybe. Are you sure? Max, I can do it. But you seem like a decent guy, and I'd, I'd hate to see you killed. I'm sure. We'll show everyone that I have what it takes to be a knight, and that you're truly the best at prejudigitration in the kingdom? Wallace shook his head and gave a wide smile. All right, but you're crazy, Max. Max stuck out his hand. Partners? Partners, said Wallace, and clasped Max's hand in his own. Good. Now let's go show these snobs who the real heroes are. Wallace pulled Max into a small alley between two large pavilions and checked to make sure they were alone. All right, said Wallace. You have a sword, but you'll need a shield, something to hold so that I can project the illusion onto. How about this? Max asked, hefting the wooden top off a keg of salt pork and running his arm through the rope straps. Yeah, perfect, said Wallace. Now hold still. This may tickle a little. Wallace drew his wand and started to chant, low under his breath. It wasn't a language Max recognized, but it made the hair in his arms stand on end. The wand began to glow, brighter and brighter, 
until it looked like Wallace held a staff of living fire, a staff he used to trace strange symbols in the air. Max felt his skin begin to tingle. The rough wool of his clothing undulated strangely, and then with a final bellowed syllable, Wapow! Wallace brought the fiery wand down on Max's head, and everything flashed bright, went black, and then came slowly into focus. Did, did it work? Look for yourself. Max looked down and could barely believe his eyes. Instead of the wool shirt and pants, he was clad head to toe in new gleaming silver armor. When he touched himself, he felt the wool, but for all of the world, it looked like a solid metal plate. You're amazing! Wallace Q. Wallace, wizard at large and master of illusions, pleased to make your acquaintance. Max grabbed the wizard and spun him in a circle, hooting with delight. We're going to win this tournament, friend. Not if you don't go enter before the spell wears off. It only lasts while I'm focusing, and I can only focus for so long. On it, yelled Max, and he ran back to the tourney tent, Wallace following just behind. When he reached the tent, he pushed his way and walked right to the scribe, hoping he wasn't recognized from earlier. I'm here to enter the squire's joust. The scribe looked up briefly and then turned back to his paper. Tourney lances will be supplied. You have a horse to go with that armor? Yes, sir. All right. Name? Max. Max what? He needed a name. How could he have been so dumb? All knights and nobles had last names, but as an orphan, all he had ever gone by is Max. The scribe was looking at him impatiently, eyebrows raised as if to say, you don't even know your own name? Max thought hard. He needed a name, but not just any name. He needed a brave name, a strong name, a courageous name, a good name. A good name, yelled Max in a panic. Your name is Max Goodname? asked the scribe with disbelief in his voice. Yep, that's me, said Max, feeling like a fool. Max Goodname at your service. The scribe shook his head and wrote down Max's name on his list. All right then, you're entered. Go to the lists and wait for the herald to call you to horse. Max walked out and grabbed Wallace in a rough hug. We did it! We're in the tourney! Yes! Now all you have to do is not die! Now all I have to do is win. Max slept fitfully that night, tossing and turning and worrying. It didn't help much that Wallace Q. Wallace was curled up beside him, snoring loudly and muttering strange spells in his sleep. The young wizard was kind enough to let Max share his tent for the night, but it was barely big enough for the two of them, and the summer heat was making it stifling. Finally, Max gave up on sleeping and pushed his way out of the tent into the clear summer midnight. Even at the late hour, the fairground was still showing signs of life. Squires and serving men were grumbling over late-night tasks, and a group of knights sat around a fire pit, laughing heartily and passing a horn filled with an amber liquid back and forth across the flames. The moon was a thin crescent in the sky, but the royal guards were walking about with their flickering torches, and it was bright enough to make your way. Max wandered aimlessly, thinking about the tournament in the morning and the risk he was taking. Was it crazy to enter the joust with nothing but the illusion of armor, especially when he had never been in a formal joust before? Yes, yes it was, he decided, but what other choice did he have? He was going to win his knighthood, even if it killed him. So he walked, and he tried to relax and clear his head. Eventually, even the knights stumbled back to their pavilions, and Max was preparing to do the same when he heard a voice calling for help, drowned out by sudden laughter. It was a pretty voice, a young voice, a girl's voice. He ran towards it in the darkness. He came into a small clearing between pavilions lit by hanging lanterns and a thin slice of the moon. In it were three boys and a girl, all about his own age. 
The boys had stolen a dark bundle from the girl and were throwing it back and forth between them, playing keep away from the girl, frantically trying to recover it. Give it back, she yelled, nearly in tears. You'll hurt him. The boys just laughed. Oh, you'll hurt your little birdie? asked one mockingly. What kind of weirdo carries an owl around anyway? laughed another. Without stopping to plan, Max stepped into the flickering light. Hey, why don't you just give that back? The boys turned to look at Max, wide smirks on their face. Yeah, called the one holding the bundle. Who's going to make us? Well, I am. All right, said the thug, and he threw the bundle hard at the girl. We gave it back. Now what are you going to do? Too late. Max did the math and realized three against one wasn't exactly great odds. Now we can all go home. I don't think so, said the thug, and he stepped up and threw a punch high at Max's head. It didn't occur to Max to be afraid. Old Parlo had been throwing punches twice as hard and three times as fast since he first taught Max how to brawl in the dirt. Max ducked the punch and rose with an uppercut, taking the thug off his feet. The other boys came in from the sides, and Max stepped back quickly and knocked their heads together. They fell in a heap on top of the first boy. Max looked down at the boys at his feet and suddenly felt a little more sure of himself. Maybe he did have what it takes to be a knight after all. Not that there was much knightly honor in a midnight brawl, but at least he saved the girl, he thought. The girl! He came upon her sitting on a stump on the fringe of the camp, tears staining her cheeks. She had straight black hair that fell to her shoulders, and her eyes, puffy from crying, were a gray that shone like the silver of his imaginary armor. In her lap, she was cradling a small brown owl with a pure white face whose wing was sticking out at a strange angle. As Max watched, the girl began to sing again, her voice getting stronger as it went and clear as the midnight sky. Spells will mend a broken blade and magic see it sings. A mind will give, a body dreams, but love will give it wings. As she sang, the owl began to hoot softly, its wings straightening and smoothing, and finally sliding back into its proper shape. The bird nuzzled the girl's hand fondly, and then took flight back into the trees. That was amazing, whispered Max. The girl looked over at him with a shy smile. She was short and plump, with a friendly heart-shaped face. Thanks said the girl, but it was nothing really. I'm apprenticing with the clerics at the temple, and they know all kinds of healing spells. They can even save warriors from sword and axe wounds. All I've ever done is fix animals, but one day maybe I'll do more. Max had heard of the clerics and their healing magic, but he had never seen it for himself. The most he had ever seen in the past were wandering entertainers, like Wallace Q. Wallace, and even then only from a distance. No, it was amazing. I wish I could do that. It would make me feel a lot better about tomorrow. Tomorrow? She asked. Are you entering the tournament? You're too young to be a knight, so you must be a squire. Will this be your first joust? I am, and it will. You must be so nervous. The joust is terribly dangerous. That's why my order is here. The clerics say there's always plenty of healing work to be had after a joust. Max felt sick to his stomach with nerves, his face going as pale white as the owl's. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just being terrible. I'm sure you're nervous enough. Max drew himself up again, putting on his bravest voice. I'm not nervous at all. He lied. Though, truth be told, I'd feel better if I knew magic like yours. That way, even if I did get hurt, I could just heal myself right up again. I'm sure you'll be amazing. The way you saved me from those three, 
I can tell you of the makings of a real hero. The girl rose from the stump and dusted herself off. Tell me your name, and I'll make sure I'm there to watch when they call you, she said shyly. It's Max. Max Goodnate. Strange name for a squire. Well, what's your name? I'm Corley, and I need to be getting back to my pavilion. I'm already late as it is. She turned and gave Max one last smile as she walked away. Good luck in the tourney tomorrow, and thanks again, my hero. Thanks. I'm going to need it. The next morning, Max dressed in his woolen shirt and pants and crude leather boots. Wallace Q. Wallace was devouring a bowl of peppered eggs, but Max was so nervous, he couldn't seem to hold down a single bite. To put a deep ball, said Wallace through a mouthful of eggs. What? said Max, a little irritable. Wallace swallowed and said, You gotta eat, pal. You'll need your strength for the joust. Max grunted and popped a hard-boiled egg into his mouth whole, chewing noisily. Happy? He said, his mouth full of egg. Very, said Wallace, rising to his feet, pulling his slender wooden wand out of the baggy blue sleeve of his robe. Now it's time to make the magic happen. He ran through his spell again as Max chewed. Wapow! He finished, hitting Max so hard, he choked and cocked and sprayed all the chewed bits of egg from his mouth. Hey, careful with that. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Max looked down, and he saw that once again he was clad in gleaming silver armor. When he hefted his barrel-top shield and belted on his sword, the only bit of real steel he owned, he looked every inch the well-armored squire. You truly are a miracle worker. It's a gift, said Wallace, buffing his fingernails with his wand. Now let's get you mounted up. They arrived at the jousting yard, Max riding the red warhorse and Wallace walking by his side, just in time to see the first match. Two squires, one armed in black plate and the other in dull gray, faced each other across the muddy expanse of the ground. A low wooden fence ran down the length of the arena, separating the riders so the horses didn't crash into each other during the joust. The herald gave a cry, and the squires both dipped their lances and began their charge. The horses surged forward, and the whole world seemed to tremble with their thunder. The two young men aimed their long lances at each other's shields and brought their own shields in close to block. At the last second, they raised slightly in their stirrups, leaning into the charge and colliding with a great resounding... <laughs> the black-armored squire swayed in his saddle but kept riding. The gray-armored squire wasn't so lucky. His shield slipped at the last moment and his opponent's lance took him full in the chest, sending him flying through the air to land with a sickening crunch in the mud. A few clerics ran out to tend to his injuries as the black squire rode a victory lap around the yard holding his broken lance high. Max tried to see if Corley was among the clerics in the field, but he couldn't find her. In the next match, the squires both seemed as though they had never hefted a lance before, and it took four passes before one managed to strike the other a glancing blow and knock him from his horse. The herald soon came out to introduce the third match. <laughs> In the north gate, we have Glendon Glaive, squire to the dread knight Sir Garther Glaive, hero of Panther's Pass. The crowd erupted in cheers as Glendon rode his black charger to the north gate. He was clad head to toe in bright red mail that gleamed in the sunlight like glowing embers. Wallace whistled, I'd hate to be the unlucky fellow that has to face him. And in the south gate cried the herald. We have Max Goodname, squire to Parlo the Pink, hero of nothing in particular. The crowd laughed, and Max felt his cheeks flush red. 
Why do you have to say that? You didn't have to say that. Make him pay for it, buddy, said Wallace with a savage grin. Max grinned back, but he didn't feel especially confident. Glendon had clearly been trained well and outfitted better than most knights. All Max had was a little experience jousting against wooden targets or rings with Parlo, and his armor wasn't even real. Still, it was too late to back out now. He kicked his warhorse into a trot and headed for the southern gate. As he lined up across the field from Glendon, he saw a young maiden walk towards the handsome young squire, picking her way carefully across the muddy ground. When she reached Glendon, she pulled a ribbon of red silk from her hair and tied it around his bicep. Max felt even worse, as if that were even possible. Glendon had better training, real armor, and a maiden's favor. What chance did Max stand now? Wait, cried a voice from behind him. Max! Max turned to see Corley running up behind him. Max, she said. Wait, there's something I have to give you. She was shaking out a ribbon of her own, a pale silver white that matched her cleric's robes. A favor, she said, blushing deeply. A favor. A favor for my hero. She reached up and began to tie the ribbon to Max's arm. He realized too late what she would feel. Max! She yelled as she tightened the ribbon and felt the wool of his shirt against the hard steel he was supposed to be wearing. "'Shh,' said Max quietly. "'This is the only way, Coralie. Please, don't tell anyone.' "'Max, you'll be killed!' "'Not if I'm good enough,' he said. "'Please, don't do it! I can only heal wings and beaks, Max. No one can bring you back if Glendon gets you with that lance.' "'I will be a knight,' said Max in reply. "'Fine. If you insist on being so pig-headed, then you'll at least take this.' And then she sang softly, "'pretending to adjust the ribbon on his arm as she did it. "'Mother, hold your children tight, Father, guard them well. "'Smith, fortress the armor bright, "'and temples peel your bells. Callous hands, swing sure your swords, "'arms hold high your shields. "'The true steel has its own rewards, "'the true steel never yields.'" Max felt something wash over him as Corley sang the words. It seemed to ease slowly over his body like a warm bath, seeping through his skin and bones and nestling down in his heart. What? What was that? A protective spell. It's called a ward. A ward for my hero. And with that, she turned and hurried away, her long silver robes flapping in the breeze. Combat's ready! cried the herald. Glendon took a lance from the rack and dipped it at Max, and Max did the same. Charge! cried the herald. Max kicked his red into a charge, and Glendon did the same with his black. Time seemed to slow, and Max leveled his lance with his opponent's bright red shield. He brought up the barrel it across his body, like Parlo had shown him. Cover your heart and guts, boy, else you like to lose both, the sour old knight would say. Glendon suddenly loomed huge. He was twenty feet away, ten feet away, five feet away. Max reeled in his saddle as Glendon's lance glanced off the barrel lid. His own lance struck true, crashing into Glendon's shield and lifting the red-armored squire from his saddle and sending him crashing to dust. Max had won. He could hardly believe it, and either could the crowd. There was a stunned silence, and then a single voice rang out, Good name. Good name. The entire crowd picked it up, a thousand voices chanting, Good name. Good name! Good name!
Max rode a wide circle around the arena, lance held high. Good name! Good name! Good name! The day went on, and the field of squires brave enough to joust got smaller. It shrank from eight to four, and finally it was down to just Max and one other. Max was feeling confident. His second match went even better than the first. His opponent, the squire in the black armor that had won the first tilt of the day, completely missed Max with a hastily swung lance, and Max unhorsed him almost effortlessly, not getting so much as a scratch. The ward was working, Max realized. Corley's protective spell was keeping him safe, and his skill with the lance was doing the rest. I will be a knight, he said, and for the first time, he actually believed it. From the North Gate, cried the herald. We have Max Goodname. The crowd cheered loudly. For the final match, everyone had turned out to see who would win their knighthood. The king and queen could be seen sitting high above the rest on twin thrones carved from polished ivory and ebony. On the queen's knee. The royal princess bounced and gurgled happily, and from the south gate we have Reynard Roan. The crowd went absolutely wild. They were fond of Max for winning unlikely victories as an unheard-of squire, but Reynard was cousin to the queen and squiring for the king's own brother. He was tall and fair and clad all in golden armor, and the favors of no fewer than four maidens were tied around each arm. He took up his lance. And hollered at Max from across the field, "You've had a fair showing, good name, but I am the one who will win my knighthood today." Come win it then, Max said, and spurred his horse across the muddy field. Reynard matched his charge, and for Max, all else faded away. The sounds of the crowd dimmed to silence. His horse's hooves blurred to nothing. His entire world became his lance and shield, and the foe ahead of him, and his savage will to win. His opponent neared. Max raised up, barrel-led shield held high, lance leveled with his opponent's chest. True steel has its own rewards. True steel never yields. Pain, pain more intense than any Max had ever known. He managed to stay in his saddle, but he wasn't sure how. When he got to the end of the field, he looked down and saw a foot-long splinter of wood sticking out of his leg. When Reynard's lance shattered against the barrel-led shield, he must have caught one of the pieces. Looking over his shoulder, he saw Reynard laughing and hefting a new lance. Max hadn't even scratched him. Nasty splinter you've got there! Do you yield, sir? True steel never yields. I'll never yield. Let's go again. Max pulled the splinter from his leg with a wince. They both took fresh lances and charged. This time, Reynard's lance smashed Max's shield to splinters, and it fell ruined to the mud. Max's lance just glanced off Reynard's shield, and with a weak thump, "You've no shield, good name!" called Reynard. "Yield before you're hurt." No shield, thought Max to himself glumly. Try no shield and no armor. He felt suddenly very naked, sitting on his horse with nothing but his wool shirt and pants and rough leather boots. He should yield. There was no dishonor in it. Shieldless and armless as he was, but then he may never be a knight. I will be a knight," said Max for the final time. Once more, Reynard," Max called, grabbing a fresh lance from the rack. "You're brave, dumb but brave. One more, then, good name. 
There was a sudden small commotion in the crowd. Max looked over and saw the three thuggish boys from the night before. They had Corley again, pulling her bodily through the crowd. Max looked on helplessly from his spot inside the arena. He couldn't leave without forfeiting the match, and even if he left, he would never slip through the crowd on his horse. Wallace! he cried, and the wizard appeared at the gate. That girl, the cleric in the silver! He pointed her out. Go help her! I'll be there after the tilt! Max! cried Wallace. I can't get her and maintain the illusion. I'm already struggling as it is with all these hits you've been taking. I don't care. Just don't let them hurt her. Wallace saw the passion in Max's eyes, and shaking his head, ran off through the crowd, preparing some bit of magic to help the dark-haired girl with the silver robes. Max roared and spurred on the great red warhorse. Across the yard, Reynard did the same, and the field was full of the ragged thunder of horses' hooves and screaming men. Max was vaguely aware that the illusion of his armor had faded away, but he didn't care. He needed to finish this match one way or another so he could go and help Corley. The two squires seemed to fly at each other, one a crimson blur in winking steel and the other a strange streak of brown wool. They came together, and the earth seemed to shake and tremble with the power of their crash. Reynard's lance glanced off Max's arm, but Max's lance struck Reynard full in the chest just above the shield and just below the helmet. The lance bent like a bow and then snapped straight, launching Reynard like an arrow. He flew a full fifteen feet before landing in the mud before the king. Max had won, but he didn't care. Across the field, he saw Wallace brawling with two of the thugs. The third was holding Corley and laughing at the skinny wizard's efforts. He urged his horse into a gallop, and they cleared the arena fence in a single mighty jump. Enough! yelled Max as he rode up to Corley and the thugs and swung down off his horse. You let them go before I give you more of what you got last night. Two of the thugs looked nervous, but the leader only stepped forward. Last night he was dressed in plain wool, same as Max, but today he had on his full squire outfit, including thick leather armor and a short sword of notched steel, honed to a razor edge. This isn't fists, this is steel and your wizard is out of the fight the thug said, drawing his sword. You sure you'd like to try me with wood and cheap illusions? You'll find my steel is true enough, coward, said Max, drawing his own sword with a steely hiss. That's a chance I'm willing to take, said the thug. Take it then, growled Max, and the dance began. They clashed, and clashed again and again. The thug's sword came in high, and Max got up his own blade in response, and the impact was the bright song of metal on metal, and the thug realized the truth in Max's words. His armor and his shield may have been fake, but his sword was the true steel. The fight raged on, and now everyone in the stands was watching, including the king and queen. Royal guards were shouting and heading towards them, but they wouldn't make it in time, Max realized. This would be decided by the blade. The thugs pressed forward. Max gave ground, but remembered the advice of old Parlo. Sword fighting's about more than swords, boy. Never forget it. I've seen many a good knight fall because they forgot all about the fist and foot and knee and teeth and... And Max let the thug swing in hard and then hooked him behind the knee with a kick, sending him stumbling. As he staggered past, Max clubbed him along the back of the head with a pummel of his sword, and the thug sank to the ground like he'd been hit with a sleeping spell. The other two thugs scattered, and Max went over to Corley, picking her up gently from the ground. You saved me. Again. Well, I owed you. 
Without your ward, I wouldn't have been able to make it through the tournament. Oh, Max, I don't know any wards. But the song. Corley laughed and planted a kiss on Max's cheek. Oh, my sweet hero, I made it up. You just look so nervous. I thought you could use a little faith. Made it up? And then Max lost consciousness. In the end, it took Corley and three other clerics to bring Max around again. He was bleeding from where the lance splinter stuck in his leg and from a dozen other small cuts. His arm had been broken where Reynard shattered his shield and made worse by the final lance blow. But luckily, Corley was an expert at healing wings, and it proved to be that arms weren't so different after all. Once Max had been patched up and revived, they brought him in front of the king and queen. Max Goodname, thundered the king. You have won the tournament and your knighthood. He stepped down off the throne and drew his great golden sword. Kneel for the last time as a squire. Max knelt. There was a deep silence in the arena. Squire, bellowed the king. I dub thee Sir Max Goodname, Knight of Northend, Protector of the Northern Realms, and Defender of the Weak. Rise, Sir Knight. Max rose to his feet, and the crowd cheered loudly. After a moment, the king raised his hand for silence. What's more, in light of the extreme bravery you showed by entering the tournament with nothing but a barrel lid and a handful of conjurer's magic, I gift you a new suit of silver armor from the royal blacksmith. Wear it well! The crowd erupted again, but again the king called for silence. To the young cleric apprentice, Corley, who saved your life, said the king. I award the title of Master Cleric. The crowd cheered briefly before being quieted by the king yet again. And as for your wizard friend who so deceived the court. Wallace Q. Wallace suddenly looked very nervous. I give him one thousand cogs, the title of Grand Illusionist of Northend, and a stern warning to never, ever pull a stunt like that again. The crowd's cheering redoubled, and this time the king let it go on and on. Wallace and Corley ran to Max, and the three of them, knight, cleric, and wizard, embraced in the center of the arena. And that was their first adventure, though it was by no means their last. The End Thanks for listening. Our show today was recorded and produced by Jake Letizia and written by Daniel Hines. Our good friends Nate Auger and Emily Rosen lent us their voices for the parts of Max Goodname and Cor Anders, and I'm your narrator, Kelsey Lee. If you'd like to support the show, you can click the Amazon links on storiespodcast.com before you do your holiday shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, but Amazon gives us a portion of their profits to help support the show. Thanks for listening, and please don't forget to give us a good review on iTunes. Talk to you next time.